2: Welcome back to the show. This is hour two of Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen will be back in tomorrow and for the rest of the week as well. It is the the 16th of March, that being 316. We've been celebrating, if you've been listening this morning, John 316, talking with our guests about the importance of that verse in their lives. Paul and I have been reflecting a bit. I've been kind of Mm -hmm. walking through it from the... The Greek geekdom angle as well. We talked a little bit at the end of last hour that God's care for humankind is other-centered, tender-hearted never forsaking passion for his people caused the heavens to be rent open. And so whoever surrenders or leans into or sort of the posture of their heart is, you are king and I am not, will not perish. And to use some of the Greek within that part of the verse to perish, sometimes I think we understandably think that perish means uh, hell only, but to, but perish within the Greek language means to be walking on pathways that are futile and failing, the pathways of idolatry, the pathways that will blow away in the end the pathways of the chaff of this world that we might give our lives to otherwise. So instead of giving our lives to that, we surrender and yield and bend our knee to the king and the only king of the eternal kingdom. And that's part of what is the great promise of John 3.16. I've been inviting you as listeners to text in your stories and recollections as well to 877 Nine three three two four eight four and Paul we have another listener that wrote in.
1: We do first off happy anniversary to Reed and Katie. It's Indeed. their eighth anniversary. And Love this it. is what Reed just texted in a little while ago. He said, My my wife Katie and I decided to get married on this day eight years ago. We chose it because we wanted John three sixteen and the gospel to be our foundation in the marriage. Oh, beautiful. So thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. Also, we got married. At three thirty-three p.m., because our life verse is Jeremiah thirty-three three.
2: Oh my gosh, this which is, is amazing. Which is well, so Jeremiah three uh, thirty-three three is call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So that that's so that's why they got married at three thirty-three amazing. in the afternoon. He adds every day at three
1: thirty-three p.m. We text each other great and mighty things. Oh, God has shown us great and mighty things. Yeah, God has shown us great and mighty things through our
2: marriage. Read, Katie. Wow. wow! That is a great story. Wow. Uh, Reed, thanks for texting that in this morning. What an incredible, heartening sort of invitation into this beautiful verse, because it really is about the kingdom. And I love their intentionality. Right? I mean, oh. this is, there's so many little things that happened in, in marriages, and, and Hallie and I have been married for the better part of 26 years now, and, and it just it's those little things that really hold the fabric together, because life is not easy. I mean, we do live mm-hmm. in the midst of this present darkness. This is a world that is within the powers and the principalities of darkness at this time, as we wait for the great restoration that's coming and and part of what reed and katie are doing day in and day out just living within the god breathed the word together the intentionality at 333 i love that mm-hmm. that was fabulous you're right you said during the break paul that we were going to get a text that would that would put us both to shame and i, th- th- I think that one definitely <laughs> qualifies reed again thanks for texting that and we'd love to hear from you this morning again one more time 877-933-2484 any recollections any ways in which john 316 has been meaningful in your own life we'll take a short break and when we Come back. We'll be joined by Dr. Jeff Barrows of the Christian Medical and Dental Association and some pretty big news coming out of the Equality Act in healthcare here in the next 24 hours. I'll ask him about that next here on Mornings Without Carmen. minutes past the top of the hour, we'll welcome Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association into the show to talk about some of the health headlines here this morning. Good morning, Jeff. Good
3: morning, Peter. Good to be with you.
2: Yeah, you too, as well. And I know when we were talking a bit off the air that uh, one of the primary headlines, and there are many we can cover this morning, including racial gaps and cancer outcomes, uh, cannabis, rebound headaches. There's just lots there. But boy, I think maybe the most top of the mind, most urgent thing has to do with the Equality Act and health care proposals and legislation that is coming through. If our listeners are not familiar with that, why don't you give us some background and kind of what we're watching for here?
3: Yeah, this is really a very scary piece of legislation. And like so many of these bills, the name is very, very misleading. Equality Act is is meant to give equality to sexual minorities, which, of course, CMDA is behind. But the way this bill is written, it actually will give inordinate power of for sexual minorities to use against especially Christian health care professionals. So, and, and that's what I want to speak about this morning, Peter. And I, first of all, I want to start saying that the CMDA does agree that no health care professional should ever refuse to care for someone simply on the basis that they might identify as a sexual minority. We certainly believe that is discrimination. We are opposed to it. We believe all persons should receive medical care, regardless of how they self-identify. And we also recognize that that persons who belong to sexual minorities often suffer, especially with uh, mental health uh, uh, conditions like depression and anxiety, and especially those that are dealing with gender dysphoria. But Unfortunately, this bill will force Christian health care professionals to have to provide what's called gender transition therapy. Hmm. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail. It's, it's fairly graphic. But it's in essence therapy that's both medical and surgical that will allow them to change their gender from their biological sex at birth to their perceived gender. And and let me first of all say, this is not at all supported by any good medical evidence. There's nothing out there that really shows that gender transition therapy is, is good for the patient. And it's really often unnecessary. When you look at specifically at minors that may be suffering from gender dysphoria, if you don't do anything for them and just just support them through puberty and later on, we find that 85% of them will resolve spontaneously. So any kind of treatment that's done for these kids is really unnecessary treatment. And then Thirdly, there's long-term adverse consequences with this. There's permanent sterility, shortened lifespan. They permanently have disfigured bodies because of this surgery. So CMDA is adamantly opposed to uh, providing gender affirmation therapy. But unfortunately, if this bill were to pass, if we refuse to provide that therapy, we're going to be charged with discrimination and have all kinds of negative consequences as a result of that. So this bill is very scary. And and I haven't even brought up the fact that it also includes pregnancy and related conditions as qualifying for discrimination. So uh, an OBGYN like myself uh, could be caring for somebody. Somebody comes in, and says to me, I want you to do an abortion on me, if I refused, I could be again charged with discrimination against them because I haven't cared for them the way they want. So this is a a terrible bill and it's going before the Senate tomorrow. I understand it'll have a hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. I can tell you, Peter, it will permanently alter provision of health care, Christian health care in this country if it passes.
2: Boy, oh boy, Jeff, there is a lot to get into there. And it is uh, a pretty frightening change in the way that we would practice our our medicine together, our lives together as well. And especially when you look at the civil rights conversation, and as you said, appreciate that there is not a discrimination against people self-identifying. But even that phrase uh, self-identifying, when you look at some of the biology of these three kind of large, rough categories of the civil rights over the last 100 years in our country, there is obviously a biological difference on some level between male and female, as compl- complex as that might be. And, and in the race and ethnicity conversation, even though there's maybe about a 94 to 95% sort of shared biology, there are legitimate differences as well. But it's interesting that you see, in, at least in the hunt for differences or biological origin uh, of sexual preferences and sexual desire and sexual sense of, of self, That as sophisticated as genetics has become, we're not able to locate a specific biological or genetic things that would cause a sexual preference or or a sexual desire or a sexual dysphoria of some kind. And so you use that word permanent and and, uh, there's permanent changes being made on science that is perhaps flimsy at this point, at least at best, right?
3: Absolutely. I mean, this surgery has been around for a long period of time, and it's really interesting that back in the 70s, uh, Johns Hopkins had a a sex reassignment surgery clinic, but they closed it down in 1979, and the reason they closed it down was that they were documenting that it wasn't helping these people. And that, that science has not changed since. What's changed is the ideology of, of gender affirmation has taken over and pushed aside the science, and here we are where we are today.
2: Yeah, boy, and that is what's so devastating. We're a few years into this movement and and you can typically discern things by their fruit, right, in terms of how things play themselves out. and, And as you said, things are not getting resolved. They're actually getting worse. Are there anything believers that we can do or be mindful of as this is coming to legislation? Anything else to look at related to this?
3: Well, I would encourage the, your listeners uh, that are out there to contact their senators and tell them that uh, that m- on one hand, we certainly don't want to discriminate against those who have and belong to a sexual minority. But please, please do not pass this Equality Act. It will have such untoward uh, complications long term down the road that I, I'm really fearful of what will happen to Christian health care in this country.
2: Uh, so thanks for the insight on that, Jeff. We're going to take a short break here a little bit early because we have a number of different shorter headlines to cover. When we come back, I'll ask you about John 3.16 as well and its impact in your life, as well as covering a bit about the racial gap in cancer outcomes and maybe some of the rebound headaches that we're seeing from cannabis and its increasing use around our country. So stay with us. More to come here with Jeff Barrows on Mornings Without Carmen. So that's a bit of John 3.16 and music again this morning, Jeff. We've been talking about that a bit in terms of how John 3.16 has been meaningful in our lives as we celebrate it here on the 16th of March. Uh, Any recollections you have as I just say John 3.16, what comes to mind?
3: well just just the whole concept that god so loved the world that he gave his son i i became a believer a follower of jesus in college and i came to recognize uh that that there was number one a god but he was a god who was a loving god who mm-hmm. sought our good and i am so thankful that's that's 45 years ago i'm dating myself a little bit but uh, I am so thankful, and I can testify, He truly is a loving God. He cares for us, He wants what's best for us. He just wants us to, to place our faith in Him, our lives and trust in Him. And when we do that, we will have the abundant life that He promises. And I, I can I can testify to that after 45 years of following after Him.
2: Oh, that's beautiful, Jeff. Thank you for that. Paul, I know going back to our previous conversation uh, with Jeff here before the break about some of the changes coming in terms of practice medically, in mm-hmm. terms of sexual dysphoria, and, and somewhere where we are as a culture, we had a listener text in. We want to address that too. Right.
1: right. Carol uh, texted in asking, um, how
2: do I support my non-binary child without compromising my beliefs yeah boy jeff i don't know if you have any wisdom for that i think it's a question that is at every turn right now i know certainly in my sexuality class that is the primary question among our young people how how do we support people in the midst of this because it's not that we haven't been taught about sexuality in our culture lately it's just that our teachers are so rubbish (laughs) on so many levels and the and the state and the educational system the government and entertainment has been very effective in teaching about sexuality, even if that version of it is inconsistent with the kingdom. But what do we do with our young people that are understandably making some different kinds of choices based on the education that they're getting?
3: Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is to repeat again the statistic, because we have uh, there have been many studies looking at kids that are dealing with either gender dysphoria or maybe they don't identify with their biologic sex. And if you don't do anything, just give them that support. Eighty-five percent of the time, the vast majority will transition back to their biologic sex. It will resolve on its own. And one of the unfortunate things with this Equality Act is that it means to outlaw what's called conversion therapy. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as conversion therapy. But it prevents any mental health professional from sitting down with a child like this who is struggling, who doesn't want to feel this way, and who is trying to be supportive to them. And if that mental health professional were to go against any type of of the ideology of the LGBTQ movement and say, well, this this is maybe not what you need to do, you you are a, let's say, a boy or you are a girl – Again, that mental health professional can be accused of discrimination and all kinds of negative consequences can occur. So we want to be able to have pastors sit down with parents and with children and talk to them and just give them general support through, through this difficult time because it will eventually resolve.
2: Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying there, Jeff. It seems to me that this is a bit of a long game kind of conversation right now. It took us a lot of years to come this deeply into the woods of our sexuality. It's going to take a lot of years out, but it does take some intentionality uh, of that. And and to play the patient long game right now. I don't know many success stories where people got into somebody's face and started shouting them down at this point in time. And it doesn't mean we don't stand for truth, but that we've got to play out the truth in in the long game. And that's that's a hard place to be when our loved ones are involved so I appreciate the wisdom on that a couple other headlines that you and I could cover here too is that it's fairly interesting to me I don't know what the flu season has been like this year it seems milder or maybe it's just been shoved underneath the rug because of COVID but also too that there was some outbreaks last year in the in the the previous years of something called acute flaccid myelitis if I even said that the right way but it seems like maybe that didn't uh, come to bear this year primarily because of social distancing
3: yeah, that's exactly right, Peter. And you did pronounce it well. That's I'm, I'm stunning to me yeah. with that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's
3: something that wasn't really uh, discovered until 2012. And what we know about it, and there's still a lot to learn. But it comes in two-year cycles. So first year was described with 2012. So 2014, we had a cycle. 2016, there were about 153 cases of this. And this is an acute syndrome that somewhat. Similar to polio. It occurs only in children. It causes weakness in their arms and legs and it can lead to lifelong disability. So it's definitely a disease we want to avoid. And there has been some connection with what's called an enterovirus. And uh, it appears not certainly not everybody that gets that virus gets the acute flaccid myelitis, but it it appears that everybody who has developed acute uh, flaccid myelitis has in fact had that that virus. So here we were in 2020 expecting another outbreak. And so far, there have only been 31 cases that have been reported, which is much, much less than expected. So it's a kind of a an additional benefit, I guess you would say, of social distancing, mask wearing, that type of thing. So a A positive
2: that that we need to keep in mind uh, along with the prevention of COVID-19. Yeah, so interesting. A few other headlines we can cover too is the idea of rebound headaches for those people that are using some form of cannabis product for maybe chronic migraines as well. I guess I suppose it's not exactly shocking that the therapeutic of cannabis might lead to some (laughs) unnecessary or or some difficult uh, results or, or unintended side effects as well.
3: Yeah, today's marijuana is not the same marijuana of the 60s and 70s, actually. Uh, The THC levels in today's marijuana is about 10 to 30 times higher than when I was in college in the 70s. Um, That's a big difference, and it has all kinds of side effects, and it's causing chronic bronchitis, schizophrenia, psychosis, and depression, among other things. But you're exactly right. Uh, some research has been done on people who use cannabis to help their migraine headaches and they found that they're actually six times more likely to have an increase in headaches, especially what's called rebound headaches, and these are headaches that are really due to medication overuse or the use of of cannabis in this instance. So it's it's not going to help them. It actually could make it significantly worse, and so they need to be seen by a, a healthcare professional that can help them get off the cannabis uh, for multiple reasons, and including their increase in headaches.
2: Yeah, I'd be curious too, Jeff, just connecting it to the sexuality <laughs> conversation that we've had too, I, I would think that just consistent use of a marijuana product of any kind is probably going to dull our senses, lower our inhibitions, maybe cause us to not be able to think as critically about some of these things.
3: Oh, yeah. It has long-term uh, mental health consequences, uh Suicide is increased, and as we know with many of these sexual minorities, there is a lot of suicide, especially with gender dysphoria. Um, The use of marijuana just simply increases that, increases depression, uh, and also leads to increased opioid use. So there's really nothing positive long-term with use of of marijuana.
2: So where is the political will coming from then, where it's being legalized in so many different states? Is I, I don't know that I understand the rationale, and they talk about it for medicinal use, but but you're part of the medical profession, and you're suggesting that maybe it's not as helpful as what popular headlines would suggest?
3: I would say that there is absolutely no condition that uh, marijuana treats that cannot be treated in more traditional ways. And so to answer your your question, why is it being promoted? It's now legal in medicinally in 33 states and the District of Columbia. It's all recreational marijuana is legal in 15 states. It's all about money. Mm. There is millions and millions of dollars in the sale of marijuana. And so the companies that are behind that are pushing this legislation all across the country.
2: No, oh, such helpful insight. Uh, Jeff, appreciate the conversation on so many different topics this morning and just the way you bring the gospel to bear into the midst of these daily headlines as well. So have a great rest of the morning.
3: Thank you. A joy to be with
2: you, Peter. Yeah, indeed. We'll take a short break for some break point as well and uh, cover it in the bottom of the hour a bit more of John 316. So we got a bunch of texts in, and it's been so fun to hear from the guests as well about the meaning of John 3, 16 and their life. We've been talking about it from that perspective of the geekness of the Greek language as well, in which it was originally written. Because I think when you get behind the scenes of that original language, it's interesting to even tease out some of the incredible promises of that verse. So that we can do the last part here at this bottom of the hour of everlasting life and what that means. So far, we've talked about... God's love is what drove the heavens to be open and that those who believe in the midst of doubt, and we're going to talk about belief in the midst of doubt with our next guest here in just a moment, uh, will not be walking on pathways that are perishing, but will begin to have what's called everlasting life. Life is used some 122 times in the New Testament, and it literally is the Greek word zoe that means the kind of life that God himself enjoys. So for those who lean into the Son, the King of the only eternal kingdom, will not be walking on pathways that perish, but will begin to have an life. way of life that God enjoys that will reign forever and ever and ever. And that is the great hope of the gospel in the midst of the darkness of this world. And we're going to cover a bit more of that in the context of the story of Nikki Koziars, uh, who wrote a book called Flooded, the best decisions to make when life is hard and doubt is rising. And boy, did she experience a lot of hardship. We'll talk with her here next on Mornings Without Carmen. I've never
4: been surprised by God's judgment but I'm still stunned by His grace. This is Max Locato. David the psalmist becomes David the voyeur, but by God's grace becomes David the psalmist again. Peter denied Christ before he preached Christ. Zacchaeus the crook, the cleanest part of his life was the money he had laundered, but Jesus still had time for him. The thief on the cross, hell-bent and hung out to die one minute, heaven-bound and smiling the next. Story after story, surprise after surprise, seems that God is looking for more ways to get us home than for ways to keep us out. I challenge you to find one soul who came to God seeking grace and did not find it. Search the pages, read the stories, find one person who came seeking a second chance and left with a stern lecture. I dare you, you won't find it. This is Max Locato
2: being When you do somebody wrong make it right Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen I'm Peter Kapsler filling in for today and delighted to be joined by author and speaker with the Proverbs 31 Ministries, Nikki Kosiarz, who wrote a book titled "Flooded: The Five Best Decisions to Make When Life is Hard and Doubt is Rising. Good morning Nikki
0: good morning thank you so much for having me on today
2: no for sure your book boy really taps a nerve i mean i think a lot of people are experiencing a lot of hardship a lot of doubt for a wide variety of reasons COVID is just one of those reasons but economic hardship and pain and loss and suffering and certainly over the last three years of your life that has been a significant part of your journey uh, i'd love to have you just share with our listeners a bit of kind of the rawness of of where you've been these last three years because it's been hard
0: Absolutely, so, in a very short time span, uh, I lost my mom to a brain tumor. Uh, she was given six months to live and walked through uh, a very painful season with her. I thought that was uh where kind of the anchor for this message was going to go. Uh, I thought I was going to focus more on grief and loss and that kind of that side of my life and my story. Uh, but crazy thing happened as soon as I signed the contract to write the book, Flooded, The Five Best Decisions to Make When Life is Hard and Doubt is Rising. Um, just a few weeks after that, my brother tragically um, committed suicide. He was an addict who had struggled with mental illness for years. Uh, and then, you know, just a few weeks later, uh, we, we have a small farm just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, we tragically lost a horse. Um, we went through several other really hard things, and then boom, a pandemic hit the world. <laughs> (laughs) and life as we knew it for all of us uh, was suddenly flipped upside down. So, a lot of hard things uh, in a short time span. So this message really came from a place of um, literally walking through the hard while I was writing it.
2: No, I can't even imagine what it was like, maybe even just waking up in the morning and greeting the day in the midst of it, right? I mean, it's sort of ever before your thoughts, it's ever before your mind. It's it, you, Sometimes you get that piece of the in-between when you're waking up and, and you forget about the world for a second, but then it just greets you starkly, right? Right in the middle of it as you start your day.
0: Yeah, and I think everyone listening today can identify with that, right? You know, um, we've all, the past year as we walked through this pandemic, uh, we kind of feel like we have whiplash, right? Like it kind of felt like for a season, what else is going to happen? What else is going to go wrong? You know, what else, what other chaotic situation are we going to have to walk through? Um, So it's it's been a lot of hard, and I've heard just from, especially a lot of Christians, I feel like this last year was just a really hard year for a lot of us.
2: It really has been. I think that's been a common theme. And I think we might long to go back to what life was like before tragedy like this happens. But of course, that is not possible. So the question question becomes, how do we walk forward? In the midst of it, and that's where your book comes in, and it talks about some of these things that you suggest—these five best decisions—through the context of the life of Noah and flooded. But I'm kind of intrigued by this this first thing where you say to walk with God. What it, it, that seems sort of self evident, but when you're in the midst of tragedy, when you're in the midst of doubt and turmoil, that maybe isn't the first place you kind of want to go. I would imagine you want to shake your fist a bit. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I think we can all relate to that. Uh, You know, here's the thing. These five decisions in this book are not Nikki Koziar's decisions. (laughs) Right. Uh, When I was studying the life of Noah, and I'm so grateful that God allowed me to write this message during this time because it really forced me to sit with my grief and the hard things that I was dealing with. Um, And when I was studying his life, I noticed a pattern with Noah. So there's no uh, conversations, unlike a story like Rachel and Leah or Ruth and Naomi, where we can study kind of the conversations that were happening and some of the words they were saying. There's no words from Noah until the very end of his biblical account. And I was so intrigued by that because I saw a pattern. God commanded, Noah obeyed. God commanded, Noah obeyed. And I realized when I was looking at this pattern that obedience is ultimately a decision, right? And so decisions are actually actions that that form from a thought that came a decision that turned into an action that turned into obedience. So we know the outcome of Noah's obedience. Obviously, humanity was saved. And thankfully, God's not asking any of us to do that. That's not our hard assignment he's given us, but That first decision to walk with God, I saw that so clearly laid out in the scriptures because it says that Noah was a man who walked with God. Now, this is not like you and I taking our dogs for a walk or... You know, and just like a nice stroll on a nice day. Uh, What this really is, is it's a reflection of what it means to stay in process with God. Okay. So God is not concerned with our perfection here on earth. That's not what he's after, but he is after our process. But our process is really our decision to decide how deep we're going to go into this process. And, uh, you know, I start off the book, the very first sentence is, what if I told you it's you? you are actually the greatest obstacle you'll ever have to overcome. And so deciding to walk with God is ultimately our decision, especially in the midst of a hard thing, because it's not really what we tend to want to do. In fact, a lot of us would fully admit that when we're walking through something hard, we can walk away from God.
2: And I think, Nikki, too, as you're talking about that in the life of Noah and, and talking about walking maybe away from god and and how disbelief and doubt and uncertainty and those things are the very understandable characteristics we experience in the midst of tragedy and and I, I can't crawl back into noah's mind but i would imagine at times as he's banging together this giant ship of wood made out of you know measured in cubits or whatever this was and animals were coming by i'm sure that in the midst of the uncertainty and the doubt that he ke- he just kept having to say yes to following god's lead in this and and that's one of the the roads out of doubt and uncertainty is to keep saying yes in in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, and I would imagine that had to be at least part of the journey in the midst of your tragedy.
0: Oh, 100%. You know, I think uh, one of the things that I love the most about the account of Noah is that this assignment made no sense, right? Right, right. Noah, build an ark, bring all these animals into it. I'm going to destroy the world. I mean, I'm not sure that you and I would receive that assignment and go, yes, sir. Right on that. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: And so for sure, Noah had to wrestle with doubt. And, you know, he didn't build the ark in a year or two years. I mean, it was a hundred years of walking through this obedience. And so sometimes when I look at, you know, my assignments that make no sense, uh, when God asked me to do something that feels really hard physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, it's not easy to obey even for one day.
1: Right. <laughs> so a right.
0: so hundred years of obedience, you know, Noah is somebody that you know, we need to get behind him and we need to learn about the steady, the steadfastness of what faithfulness really looks like. Um, this isn't like a kid's vacation Bible school story. I'm not sure why we decorate nurseries. Uh, I confess (laughs) that I did that, you know, with my oldest daughter, um, with this, this account, because it is so tragic. I mean, the grief of everything that Noah had to walk through. Um, it was the, I think it was Other than Jesus dying on the cross, it was one of the hardest assignments we could see in the scriptures.
2: Yeah, boy, oh boy. And, and that whole story is characterized by just difficulty right at the beginning, right? It says, and now by the time of Noah, every heart was inclined towards evil all the time. I mean, what what an incredible statement about the world. And, and then it says that God was grieved about the creation. And in that grief, he needed to create a different kind of future through Noah's obedience and through Noah's walking with him. It's not easy to do. Nikki, we're going to take a short break. There's other things that we can get to in your book. And I want to ask you specifically about how those times were when maybe some of the doubt and the disbelief the unbelief began to shift back in towards a greater level of trust for you in the midst of tragedy, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners would want to hear that sense of hope and invitation in the midst of their own grief that they're going through. So if we can cover that next, when we come back in about a minute or so with Nikki Kosiarz uh, here on Mornings Without Carmen. <laughs> We are chatting with Nikki Kosiarz and her book, Flooded. I'm sure it's available in all of the usual channels, the Amazons, Barnes & Nobles, Christian bookstores, all of those places. A great book for those of us that are struggling with the midst of doubt or uncertainty, grief, turmoil, to continue to walk with God in the midst of those hard things and finding some hope in that. And. Nikki, we've been talking about the hope of the gospel throughout the morning since it's March 16th, 316, John 316, and I've asked all of our guests sort of what recollections or memories or things that just sort of come first and foremost to mind when somebody says John 316. Do you have any kind of memories or recollections like that?
0: I do. And I love this. I, I didn't even realize that until you said that. Today, I didn't so either. Thanks.
2: Paul Perot clued me into this stuff, Nikki. You know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough for this kind of thing. We have to lean on Paul for this.
0: What a big week we've had! We had Pi Day, and now it's John three sixteen right? Day. Amazing,
2: <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah. Uh,
0: so here's the neat connection that I see uh, through that verse, and especially through this message. So you know, the Ark actually represents um, it's a it's a great picture of salvation for yeah. us, and so when Jesus you know, made the hardest decision that he could ever make to die on the cross for us. Uh, It's a beautiful invitation to come into a place of safety. And that's what the ark was for Noah and his family. And uh, I think that's just such a neat connection on today. It's release day for this book. And it's, you know, this verse is incredible. Obviously, it's one of the first verses that, you know, I ever learned as a child. uh, And it's been, it's the anchor of our faith, right? Like, I think if there could be one verse, you know, that's it. And I just, I love that, you know, Jesus came to not only give us eternal life, but also life here today on this earth. And times I think we're just waiting for eternity, right? Um, But there's a whole fulfilling life that Jesus gives us through salvation on the cross and through the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, when we receive him. So I I absolutely love that connection to today.
2: No, I so appreciate that you brought that up, that the idea of everlasting life is not just a a neat synonym for heaven. Of course, we, we are assured of an eternal future. But when Jesus says that I've come, that you would have life, that you would have it abundantly, that that word life is the word Zoe, and it simply means the Kind of life that God enjoys, and it's an indestructible way of life that can persist in the midst of of the doubt. And it doesn't mean that we don't have difficult things. It just means that there is some triumph of that in the midst of this life, where we do have peace and circumstances, or we do have love for our enemies. We are able to take joy and sorrow, all of that. And I'm guessing, as you were walking through your own tragedy, that very indestructible life, that everlasting Zoe, was part of the deal for you that maybe sustained you in the midst of it.
0: A hundred percent. You know, one of the the biggest takeaways that I had from studying uh, Noah's life as it related to my life. You know, sometimes I don't know if you're this way, but I don't really like things to feel out of control, and so I would. <laughs> Gee, Nikki,
2: I have no idea what you're talking about, but but go ahead and say more. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't say that I'm like a total control freak, but I definitely don't like it when I feel like everything's spinning out of control. Right. And I think we can all identify with whether or not, you know, we walked through personal loss or, you know, a professional loss in the last year, we can all identify with things feeling out of control. And so sometimes, you know, we as Christians, especially we say things to people uh, in the midst of their grief and hard times to try to make them feel better. Right. Yeah. And so we'll say things like God is in control. And I've said that phrase. I'm sure you have said that phrase and I'm not about to say something theologically incorrect. Stick with me. Okay. <laughs> um, God is sovereign. He He does see over everything that happens on this earth. He knew that I was going to lose my mom. He knew that I was going to lose my brother. He knew that I had to write this book in the midst of all of that. Mm. And he knows, you know, for the person who's driving down the road right now, like he knows about the job loss. He knows about the affair. He knows about the loss and he knows it all. It all comes through his hand. Absolutely. But we are not puppets that God is moving around or this massive chess game, right? Where he's, you know, checkmating this person with our lives. He's given us free choice, free decisions. And when I began to understand that Noah was a man who saw that ultimately God was in charge. Okay. So instead of looking at God being in control, God was in charge and the person in charge has the plan, right? But God's in charge of the plan, but I'm in control of my obedience. Mm. So when we're walking through something hard, we have to remember that Every decision that we make is actually our choice. God is not forcing us to go in one direction or the other. Now he invites us and he wants us to come into that arc with him, but ultimately the decision is ours. And so we have to make that choice to rise above the doubt that tries to discourage us from from stepping forward in faith with him. And listen, I'm not here today to preach this message like this is so easy, like just just walk with God and it'll all be good. This is hard, but this is holy work. And sometimes the holiest places come from the hardest places that God takes us through.
2: Boy, Nikki, that's so well said. We have just about a minute left, but I'm thinking as you're talking about the idea of God's sovereignty among the many things that it means is it does mean that his kingdom does know no end and his ways of life are possible and available regardless of the circumstances in this world. We just, we need to lift our eyes to the heavens, right, to find our help. And I would imagine in the hardship that you've experienced and many of our listeners experience that that daily lifting of the eyes into the sovereignty of God's everlasting life is is really the invitation, the only place we can find hope.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know, I'll leave your listeners with this one last quick thing. There's one prayer that I leave in the book that I pray again and again to help me with my faith. And it's this, God, if I have it wrong, show me the right way. But God, if I have it right, help me to stand firm until yeah. I see promise fulfilled.
2: Oh, that is an incredible uh, invitation, Nikki. The book is flooded again. I do highly recommend this. You can pick up a copy of this. I'm assuming, Nikki, right? Anywhere where books are typically sold and uh, and grab onto this.
0: Yep, absolutely.
2: Well, thanks so much for joining us and just for the incredible invitations and, and the hope that you brought here this morning in the midst of the darkness of our world and shining that light. Have a great rest of the day.
0: Thanks, you
2: too. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show for the 16th of March. Do a little bit more with John 316. Again, if you have any last-second stories, you can text them in in the last minute or so about John 316 in your life. You can text them into studio at 877-933-2484. Well, that wraps up our show for today. What a fun show. Uh, Nikki referenced it, Paul, that uh, she wasn't aware of March 3, uh, of, of March 16th, John 316. Some of the references there as well. But, boy, our listeners and the guests, they really had some amazing things to say. I'm thinking back to Reed and Katie again. So yeah, I know. Chills on that story with Martha as well. Just uh, great stories about all of they, this.
1: They are, especially Reed. You really, you really made it hard for the rest of us guys. Yeah, get, just, yeah. Just, thanks
2: so much, Reed. Yeah. We really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, what, what a great invitation. Their story, again, was that at 333 every day, they, they talk about the great and mighty things, the unsearchable ways of God with mm-hmm. one another in the context of their marriage. What a great way to establish that foundation.
1: Yeah, plus because they wanted to have the gospel be the foundation of their marriage. They got married eight years ago today. So,
2: Reed, Katie, happy anniversary. <laughs> Amazing, I love it. So one more time, we're going to kind of take some of the different little versions of the Greek that we talked about this morning on John three sixteen, and put it all together in the great promise that is here. One way we could talk about that passage would be that God's care for humankind was so great that he sent his unique son among us. So whoever counts on him or leans into him as a posture of life will not be walking on pathways that are futile and failing, but will begin to be filled with the indestructible life of God himself. It is the ways of his kingdom. It is the, the ways of his sovereign reality. It's what we celebrate here in this Easter season, that even in the midst of death, There is life, that tomb is empty, and it means that regardless of the circumstances, there is always hope. Great to be with you these last two days, and I'll catch up with you again on Thursday morning in my normal guest role with Carmen, and we'll check in again soon. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.